Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, personal growth and development, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. I'm Dr. David Hopkins, Humanities Professor, your host and guide. So without further delay, let's get started. So glad to have you here today, everyone. And I have a very special guest here. His name is Devin Rodriguez. And Devin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, You know, I was just looking through your social media profile and everyone's in for a treat here. Devin's an army officer, motivational speaker, ultra marathon runner, coach, and really has quite a story. Uh, on all kinds of fronts. And so it's great to have you here. You know, Devin, a lot of times we have such big topics. We talk a lot of politics, culture, uh, technology issues, all that stuff, but you can bring something that I know everybody loves to hear about, which is is just some personal growth and development. Cause I know you have done so many things and you've been through a whole lot. And so again, just so happy to have you here, but, but why don't you just start and just tell us a little bit about yourself and story and, and, and just take it from there. Sure, David, that sounds great to me. And when I think of my story and where I am in my life right now, uh, well, I'm active duty military. That's what I do. That's where awesome. I just came from about a, about service, 45 though. minutes ago. Thanks, David. But on, I do a lot of other things besides that as well, because I feel I've, I've been blessed enough to find my calling in life, which is in, to empower people to live principle focused lives through the, through, the, through, the, <laughs> through the virtues of contribution, legacy, purpose, and living for a, living for a purpose higher than oneself. Right. But it was it didn't always start that way, David. It was it was very unique how my life started out. And I actually just finished writing the manuscript to my book. So a lot of this is fresh. Wow. So you, you caught me at a fabulous time. Very but I grew nice. up. Yeah, David, it was a journey, let me tell you, but it was worth it. <laughs> yes, it, was it worth is. It. I wrote a couple and it is, it is a journey. It sure. is a journey. But it, where my journey really began was as a child growing up in Queens, New York. And when people think of Queens, New York, they oftentimes think of a very diverse area, one of the most diverse areas in the entire United States, which is very true. Well, my parents and I moved to a neighborhood, which just so happened to be the one part of Queens, which was one mile long, 12,000 people. And it was the least diverse part of all of Queens. Oh, wow. And I had no clue, of course, because I was in the second grade, but I walked in to a situation which I thought was going to be a dream of mine to meet some new friends. But I ended up living one of my worst nightmares for six years as racism, bullying, abuse, wow. neglect were was my lifestyle for six years, you know, being being afraid to wake up and go to school and trying to find any excuse not to go because you don't know what's going to hit you that day, quite literally hit you. So wow. that was that was that experience. But there was two defining periods within that time, or I should say two defining moments, because I all believe we have these defining moments in life. And one of them came after I went to the park and I'm not going to go through the whole story because we have a long conversation ahead, but I went to the park and I had gotten beat up by a bunch of kids and I was bloodied and I came home and my mom and dad saw me and they just couldn't take it anymore because this had been going on for three years now. I had been getting beaten up physically, but really everybody saw the physical scars, but, and I'm sure some people could relate to this. Nobody could really see the invisible scars, which hurt much more on a mental health level than 
then the physical scars hurt on my body because those healed. But unfortunately, the ones on my in my brain and in my mind didn't really heal until I made some decisions. And one of those decisions was when I walked into my house that one day after I walked home a couple blocks from the park that I was beaten up and my parents saw me and they said, oh, my goodness, Devin, we can't do this anymore. We have to get you out of here because this is just getting out of hand now. You can't even leave the house. We're afraid to let you go, but yet you're a kid and we want you to experience your childhood. Can, Devin, <laughs> let us just transfer you to another school. Uh-huh. Uh, and I said, Mom, I said, Mom, Dad, I'm not going anywhere. And they said, what? I said, I'm not going anywhere, Mom and Dad. And they said, why? I said, I don't know. I'm just not going anywhere. <laughs> I didn't wow. know why I said no, but that was the best decision I ever made in my life. For, for two reasons. Number one, it laid a foundation for me in my life that I was not going to run away from the troubles that I faced in this thing called life because troubles are inevitable. And number two, as I reflect back now and I think, what, what did I learn from that experience? I believe that I said no as a fifth grader to my parents looking to take me out of a situation and put me into a better one because I knew that if I went to another school, it wouldn't have been because I wanted to go to another school. It would have been because I enabled other people to determine my future for me. And their negative influence would have influenced me to go to, go to another school. And I wanted to be the one to determine my future. Nobody else. And that's what I did. And then long story short, three years later, I persevered. And one of my favorite quotes comes from a man named Walter Elliott. And his quote says, perseverance is not a long race. It is many short races, one after the other. And for six years of my life, I, each and every day was one of those short races. But I live by this motto. And we're going to talk about my running a little bit too. It's just right. outlast the pain. Outlast the pain. And I believe if, they, if you can outlast your pain like I did, when in the eighth grade, I was nominated the school president by the same kids that beat me up that day when I went home to my parents, no they, kidding. They they nominated me school president. And all I could think was, wow, I was so broken, but I was willing to embrace number one, my brokenness and outlast the pain. And now I'm victorious. And then I went off to high school. I did some pretty cool things there. I went to St. John's University, which is in Queens, New York. And I was I went from a really broken kid to someone that went off to college. And I, in high school, I was mediocre for the first two years until my dad said something to me, David. He pulled yeah. me out of room at like one o'clock in the morning. This was really weird. He said, Devin, get out here. I'm like, dad, I'm just playing Call of Duty with my friends. <laughs> Leave me. I'm, I'm 16 years old, right? I'm just right, playing video right. games. And I'm dad, please. No, get out here. Okay, fine, dad. So he comes in or I come to him. He says, Devin, sit down. I want you to answer this question for me. Okay, dad, what is it? He said, what makes you any different from anyone who's ever achieved anything great in this world? And I say, dad, I don't know, number one. And number two, where is this coming from? You've never said anything to, like this to me before. He said, just answer my question. I said, dad, I really don't know. They're just naturally smarter than me, more talented. I mean, look at the kids in school. They don't even have to study. They're just smart and brilliant. And he said, Devin, never forget what I'm about to tell you. And if you, if you can't tell, I never forgot, right? <laughs> Anybody who's ever achieved anything great in this world puts on their pants one leg at a time, just like you do. They put on their shirt one arm at a time, just like you do. So tell me, Devin, what makes you different? 
And I said, dad, listen, I don't know. Can I just go back to playing? Yes, you could leave now, son. But at <laughs> night, that night, I had a voice that just kept wake, keep waking me up. And I'm one of those people that I can just lay my head down on a pillow and I'm out. Okay, right, I don't have right. any problems. But that night, I particularly had trouble going to sleep. And I believe that I heard this voice. I didn't know what it was saying, but it just kept me up. And all I heard was, as, as I started to pay attention to it, was there's nothing different. There's nothing different about you. There's nothing different about you. There's not, and I would try to block it until I finally, after hours of this happening, I just woke up and I said, stop. And then it just went away. And that experience right there made me realize that there's something in each and every one of us that at some point in our lives is waiting for us to acknowledge it. It was Dr. Howard Thurman, who was Martin Luther King's mentor. He said, there is something in every one of you that waits and listens for the sound of genuine in yourself. It is the only true guide you will ever have. And if you cannot listen to it, you will spend all of your life on the ends of the shoestrings that somebody else pulls. Mm. And I totally realized that at that point that I too might have a possibility to do great things. And then I went off from being in the once I, once I noticed that I said, maybe let me find out if my dad was right. And if I can do great things. And then I really put my best foot forward and I said, I'm going to try my best in school. And then I went from being ranked number 60th in my class to number five in the matter of two months. And I said, Whoa, there is something serious here. And then I, well, I got rejected from 10 out of 12 colleges, but I did not allow that to discourage me. Went off to St. John's University, earned a four, a full 4.0 grade point average, taking 150 credits. And you can appreciate that because the typical student takes 120 credits. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I was in ROTC. I was ranked at number three ROTC cadet out of 7,000, was the valedictorian of St. John's. And, and nice. I say all of this in top hundred business student in America by Forbes and all of these. I don't say any of this to impress you because that is my past. And I don't give a crap about any of the stuff that I've done in my past. I say it to impress upon you. The fact that if someone as broken as me, who was coming home every day, screaming in my pillow saying, God, why me? Why are you putting me through this? If I was able to outlast the pain and go to a place where I was able to experience the beauty, then I truly believe that anybody in on this planet can, because I'm no different. Actually, I'm pretty average, if I got to tell you, David, I'm pretty average, but <laughs> I'm just so happy that I'm, I'm able to now share this experience with people like you and your audience. So it's terrific. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. No, the, the pleasure is all mine for sure. But so... <laughs> I got to go here because when you say you're average, I know you're not because I, I got to go to this ultra marathon thing first because it's stunning, really. I, what is that? A hundred and hundred and five hundred and ten miles. What, what yeah, is well, well, an ultra marathon, David, is simply anything that is over twenty six point two. The in an ultra running community, they really start to consider things like an ultra marathon, quote unquote, at about thirty one miles, which is a fifty k. But yeah. they, I, I have friends of mine who have run my, about 500 miles at a time. And wow. I, yeah, I'm not there wow. yet. The most that I've done is 105 miles. That was actually the second one that I did. And I've done four altogether. And I got another one coming up in November that I just signed up for. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, well, Devin, I can tell you that is not average. And when the average person hears what you guys, to be able to do that, obviously there's a physical piece to that. I mean, that's undeniable to be able to, to do that physically, but 
what I'm really interested in, number, number one, why? What in the world would make someone submit themselves to that type of a race? And maybe as you talk about the why, you know, maybe walk us through that mentally from the training to that point, like when you're in the the, the depths of hell, probably, because I'm sure <laughs> you must have been there multiple times in the middle of that race and how you were able to overcome that, because there, there's huge power in that. There's not just in running a race, but just in the race of life in general yep. and overcoming other stumbles. So talk about that for us. Yeah, David, that's the first thing I want to point out is I hate to run. I genuinely <laughs> do not like running. I don't. And I probably most of the listeners here can can kind of agree, not agree, but they can understand. They could maybe empathize with me and say, you know, I really don't like running neither. I, I really don't enjoy it. I'd much rather play basketball. But right. what I've noticed is number one, I'm five foot six and a half and I don't have much that, that much, you know, <laughs> talent in basketball or whatever the case may be. So that's out the window, but running, the reason why I run these races is exactly what you said, that it is the perfect example of what life is. Because within a 24-hour time block, you experience every single emotion that you will ever experience in life. Happiness, elation, euphoria, complete sadness, bordering on, on depression, like I, I, anxiety, everything, crying on your knees in the middle of the wilderness in the dark, everything. So I run it not because I want to win a race or I want to run a race because I want to prepare for when life throws things at me that I don't expect. And if I don't adequately prepare by putting myself in uncomfortable situations, I'll never have the fortitude to actually come out on the other side and see the equivalent seed of benefit that was in the midst of the turmoil that I went through. So I believe mental toughness or for whatever one wants to call it is built. It's not a switch that you can magically turn on. So with, with that being said, the reason why I do this, yes, I do it for that, but it goes a little bit more deep, deeply than that. In 2016, I went by my grandmother's house one day, my grandmother, Bruna, she was the woman that raised me because my biological father abandoned my mother and I, and my mother worked in the world trade center. Luckily she actually was in the building when it was hit. Oh, wow. Luckily, yeah, she was in, on the 13th floor and was able to, to get out safely, oh. thank God. Nope. But as a result of her working, my grandparents really raised me. And they're straight off the boat from Italy, barely speak a word of English. And you're probably thinking, you're Italian? Yes, David, I'm half <laughs> Italian, okay? Half Hispanic, half Italian. But, <laughs> but with that being said, my grandmother and my grandfather were really the people in my life who I loved with all of my heart. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners are like, man, there's nothing like grandparents. There really are. Because yeah. there really isn't anything like that relationship. Well, fast forward years later in 2016, I go by my grandmother's house after a day at my internship in Manhattan. And she says, Devin, uh, sit down. I say, okay, grandma. She says, I made you some food in case you came over. I said, in case I came over, you made me some food. And she goes in her Italian, yes, Devin, sit down. Come on, have the plate of the pasta. Here's some bread, some cheese. And I said, oh, grandma, you are the best. And we just have such a good time. I mean, whenever I was with her, I remember one of the last things she said to me that day. She said, uh, I asked her, grandma, how old are you now? And this, this is how her English was. She says, I'm a 77. And I, when I finish a 77, I'm a 78. I said, okay, grandma. And we just had such a good time, her, my grandfather and her. 
And she asked me something at the end of our conversation as I was getting ready to leave. She goes, she turns to me and she said, Devin, will you please sleep over? It's been so long since you last slept over. Will you just please sleep over? And I said, Grandma, listen, I would really love to sleep over. You know I love spending time with you. But unfortunately, I have to go to my internship tomorrow. And it takes me an extra 10 minutes to get there from here than it does to get there from my house. And I said, I'll just sleep over next weekend. Well, fast forward five days later, I saw my grandmother in a hospital on life support. Wow. She had a massive heart attack. And all of her major organs were shut down and dead. Uh, now we were, sit, we were sitting in her room and a doctor comes in and says, family, you have a decision. You either got to keep her on life support or take her off. My family said, we're going to take her off. They said, okay, it could take her five months before she, she runs out of strength and, and whatever she has left inside of her, or it could take five minutes. And well, sure enough, it took about five minutes. Oh, and my. this is the key right here as to why I do so many of the things that I do. As she was fading away and it was obvious that she only had seconds left to live, I just completely broke down and life literally took me to my knees. And I was on my knees because of the pain of regret that I was feeling of saying, I'll just sleep over next weekend. I'll just sleep over next right. weekend. I was thinking next weekend would actually come, but it didn't. And life just wow. took me to my knees. And this is, this is the point, David. I believe that at some point in our lives, we will be brought to our knees by something in life. Right. But the key is that when you are brought to your knees, ensure that when you rise, you rise a different person. And I sat there, I was there on my knees and I, I rose up and I said, Grandma, I am going to make you so proud. Mm. And I gave her a big kiss on the forehead. And then she went on to pass away a few seconds later. So as I went to college, I had no option but to do my best because I made her a promise. When it was time to, uh, let's see, when it was time to do all my ROTC training, I had no option but to do my best because number one, I committed to excellence the, the, the time or in the moment that I sat there by her bedside and told her, I'm always going to make you proud. I committed to excellence, but number two, you can't just commit to excellence. You have to actually define what excellence is for yourself or else you'll just kind of be complacent with wherever life blows you around like a leaf. So with, with that being said, when it came time to do this race, I had been following this crazy man named David Goggins. I don't know if you know him. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, he... well I, I saw this guy, David, and, I was, and he was talking, yeah, you got to get up and you got to go run. You got <laughs> to go to the gym. You got to go do this. And I'm like, okay, David. Okay, David. I'm going to do all of that. Now, here I was. I had never run more than, I think, 16 miles at the time. And I was sitting in my car. I'll never forget it, listening to David Goggins. And he was talking about some running. And I said, you know what? I'm going to sign up to run 100 miles. I had no idea what it took to run 100 miles, David. So I signed up for the race, and it was in Oct on October 12th, and it was at the end of April at this point that I signed up. The only problem was that I wasn't going to be able to train for the race because I was going away the entire summer to go do military training. Oh wow! I left in June. I was gone June, July, August. I came back September 6th. Oh, I had signed up for a, a 50K, which is 31 miles, the day after I got back from Army Airborne School, which was September 7th. 
And I just showed up. I, I mean, I literally had zero training. I had no idea what I was doing wow. and I showed up and, and I got through it and I did pretty well, but I learned a lot of lessons in that, which was really cool. That kind of helped me in some ways for the hundred mile race, which was three, four weeks later. So I showed up four weeks later and I, once again, had no idea, David, what in the world I was going through. And let me just preface this by saying, please, if you're listening to this, do not do what I did. Okay. But the gut, the, the, the start goes off at 6am in the morning and we just run throughout the day. And like I mentioned earlier, David, there were points in that race where I was high as can be so happy. Oh, I feel so great. Let's keep running. <laughs> and then it goes dark and it gets dark outside pitch black. And there's only, you know, there's only you yourself and your headlamp and your water. And you're just out there in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the wilderness. And you're just thinking to yourself, what am I doing out here? I started crying. Literally. I started wow. crying as I was running and I was thinking about my grandmother. And there was a point similar to how I was by her bedside where I literally went on my hands and knees because I did not think that I could go any longer because my hip flexors were so destroyed. Because once uh, again, I, I hadn't prepared for this. Sure. And I just sat there on my hands and knees and I just thought, how am I going to get through this? And I, I remembered that promise that I made to my grandmother that I will always make you so proud. So I had no option but to complete it. So it took me a little over 24 hours to complete these 104.8 miles and I was totally destroyed. I wasn't able to run for about three months. Wow. That was the first one. And I just ran another one in, in on my birthday, actually, on April 10th. And I was actually able to win that one. So that was really, really oh cool. Oh, my goodness. I did train for that one. And right. let me say, it paid dividends because my body was fine. Wow. Thank God. So, David, it's I love it. Not because I love to run, but because of what it resembles for me. Right. That's what I, and that's what I do, Dave. I, I, that's I like, amazing. I like to just see what I'm capable of. And let me share this lastly. When I completed that race, it enabled me to ask myself a couple of questions. Well, if I could do this, what can't I do? And number two, if I could do this, well, what can I do? Hmm. Yeah, it totally shattered everything that I thought was impossible. And people might be listening to this thinking, wow, I, I could never do that. Yes, you can. I did not even prepare for this race. I am not a physical specimen by any sphere of the imagination, but I do have a will, which is willing to I, my will is defined predominantly by the commitments that I've made to things that are higher than me, such as my grandmother. Right. So when it's time to do something I have no choice but to do it. It's either I'm going to do it or uh, I, I might get hurt in the process because I'll try so hard. But for me, it's just the, the willpower behind it and the why, like you said, David, I love it. Thank you for asking that question because my grandmother, Bruna, I know she's listening to this right now and she's probably cooking up some lasagna thinking you're making <laughs> me proud, Devin. Probably, but, but you know, it's, it's fascinating. And here's, here's something else I think that ties into this so well, because I was listening to your, your One Life podcast. And someone who can run 105 miles, I think you totally uh, underestimate, but you didn't know what you could do. And I think, I think a lot of people have limiting beliefs in their life, things that, things that are holding them back. But, but you managed, as you said, your commitment to excellence to overcome 
these limiting beliefs. And, you know, some people's limiting beliefs might be like you're bullying other people. It just might be they failed at business or maybe they just let their bodies go out of shape and they just or they think they just got to be whatever they're going to be the rest of their life, whatever it might be. But can you speak a little bit about that? Because obviously you've had limiting beliefs, but you through your grandma, whatever it was, you found that thing that pushed you over the top. And, and so what do you think practically, if you were just talking to one of my college students or one of my listeners in general, what, what kind of tips do you have about overcoming those barriers, those limiting beliefs that, that so many people have? Yeah. And let me preface that by saying that I had every limiting belief that one person could have. Everyone I had for years of my, I thought I was the scum of the earth, the most worthless person that was alive because of how the kids around me felt or, or felt towards me. And as a result, I internalized what they felt about me. And that became what I felt about myself. So the, I would say, oh my goodness, this is, I could have an hours long conversation just on this, but we're speaking tangibly here, which is what I love to talk about tangible things that we can do. Now, the first thing that I want to mention is that we have to come to a place where we separate or delineate who we are from what we do. Who we are from what we do. Right. Although I achieved things in college and people listening to this might have a business that's succeeding or failing or somebody might have failed the test or somebody just didn't make the basketball team or somebody just made their first million dollars. That is not you. That is what you've done, but it's not who you are. So when I think about who you are, I challenge everybody. And by the way, you'll never discover who you are unless you're willing to take some time to sit down in solitude and get to understand who you are. It was Wayne Dyer who once said, you cannot be lonely if you like the person that you're alone with. And I totally agree with that. So step number one, you got to sit down and understand what are your virtues, values, and principles? What do you stand for? Integrity, connection, loyalty, faith, humility, all of those things. That is who I am. Why do I say that? I say that because nobody can give those things to me and nobody could take those things away. So where I place my worth is not in the material things in life or what other people say, but in who I am in my core being, which which are those principles like I was just mentioning. The second thing that I would say in terms of the self-limiting beliefs, and David J. Schwartz talks about this in his great book, The Magic of Thinking Big. He says that we right. overcome, we overestimate what other people can do, and we underestimate what we can do. So when my dad sat me down at the table, and I want to ask everybody listening to this, what makes you different from anybody who's ever achieved greatness in this world? Like, I'm not talking about what you think makes you different. What actually makes you different? Chances are you'll have a really hard time finding an adequate answer to that. And you'll you'll understand that as you look at the list that you could potentially come up with of what actually makes you different, that 99% of those things aren't actually true. They might be true to you, but they're not actually the truth, the objective truth. 
See, the things that when we often compare ourselves to others, we compare our, the, or I should say, we compare the worst parts of, our, of who we are with the best parts or best qualities of somebody else. And we right. oftentimes do this too, David, which I think I've done so many times in my life. We compare where we are on our journey to where somebody else is on their journey. I had somebody on my podcast named James Cowboy Lawrence. Right. Now, James Cowboy Lawrence just completed something the, called the Conquer 100. He did 100. And if you think what I did wasn't was crazy, listen to this. He did 100 full Ironmans in 100 days, which means he did oh. a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride and a 26.2 mile run for 100 day for 100 days in 100 days. Oh, so my goodness. The previous world record was 50, which was set by him. So he decided I'm going to go uh, out and do another 50 on top of that. But what he told me was, Devin, you can never compare where you are on your journey with somebody else because right. you'll automatically prepare or you automatically set yourself up for failure. He says, right. you're not where I'm at right now, but that doesn't mean that you'll never get there. You're just at a different place in your journey. So number one, David, I would tell people, like I, like I said earlier, separate who you are from what you do or what you have. Number two, ask yourself the question, what really makes me different? from anyone who's ever achieved anything great in this world. Number three, do not compare your journey to the journey of somebody else because you'll automatically set yourself up for failure. And the last thing that I would say is that you have to begin to study. Right. See, the field of personal development isn't something that you could just read a book once or watch a video, no. Let me share this with you all. And you, you told me, David, that you have a pretty intellectual audience, so a lot of them will be able to understand this. When we're born, we're born with, with one brain, but the brain is decompartmentalized into a couple of different areas that I'll touch on. The, the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. And the point that I want to make is that the conscious and the subconscious mind have different characteristics. The conscious mind is the intellectual mind. Right. The conscious mind is the educated mind. Now, the things that I want to really mention is that the conscious mind has the ability to accept any idea and it has the ability to reject any idea. So let's say that a piece of information comes on our TV or our friends are telling us some negativity or we hear some gossip. We have the ability to say, stop, get away from me. I don't want to hear any of this. Or we could say, yes, this is true. This is true. This is true. The problem is, is that we don't do any of those. We don't think. And oftentimes, as one of my coaches says, that people confuse mental activity with thinking. Big oh, difference. Uh, Big oh, difference. Yes. So what happens, David, when we don't think about things is that we totally eliminate the conscious mind and everything around us is going into our subconscious mind. Now, what are some of the characteristics of the subconscious mind? This is scary. It has no ability to reject. It must accept everything that is given to it, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, whether it's the truth, whether it's a lie, doesn't matter. So with that being said, when the time that we're infants, we don't have a conscious mind, right? Because we, when, when, I'm, when I'm one years old, I can't decide anything. So therefore, my subconscious is left wide open. And all of these things around me and my environment just get poured into my head poured into my head. And the thing is, 
is that the subconscious mind is what dictates our behavior. They say that our, our, uh, our body is the instrument of the mind. Right, right. So when we, as a result of being brought up without having a conscious mind and being able to decide of, of what we want to accept or reject, we just have all this garbage poured into our mind. And that is the image that we form of who we are as a little child. Before we're even 10 years old, we have a picture of of who we are and what's possible for us. Not because we determined what was possible for us, but because of everything that was going on in our environment. Earl Nightingale, who was the the founding father of all things motivational audio, and and he's just a legend. He says that 95% of people in our society are not successful. And how does he determine success or define success? Success is the progressive realization of a worthy goal. I know what I want and I'm working to it, working towards it, excuse me. But yet 95% of people on this earth do not do that. Why do I mention that? Well, because when we're children, 95% of the people around us are not successful. And as a result, they're dumping all of their mediocre thinking and their average thinking into us. And that becomes the picture of who we believe we are. So a student that's listening to this grows up with this image like I did that I'm not smart right. enough, that I'll never be good enough, that I'm, this, just, this is just how it is. The people that make it, they're talented. They're naturally smart. They're the gifted ones. Me, sure. uh, this is just how it's going to be. But the thing is, is that we act as if, as if that is the truth. But that isn't the truth. We're, that we're just socially conditioned and programmed to think that way. And the point is, David, this is it. The self-image that I'm talking about, if you were to define it, you could look at Maxwell Maltz's work, Psycho-Cybernetics, great book, or The Magic Power of Self-Image Psychology, which is also written by him. He basically just says that the self-image is the concept of the type of person that you believe that you are. And how does that get formed? By your past experiences, by your past failures, the things that you've gone through. Say someone's having trouble in school. They think they're a failure. They don't think they're good enough. They fail another test that just reaffirms in their mind their truth, that they're not a good student. But how do we change that? Because I think that's what, we, what we're here for. Right. We have to understand that the self-image is a cybernetic mechanism. What does that mean? What, the first time I heard that, I had no clue what that meant. What a cybernetic mechanism is, let me give you an example. An airplane has something called autopilot. Before a plane takes off from the ground, the pilot puts in the destination that they're going to and where they're starting from. And then he'll be given, as a result of the system, he'll be given a course to follow, a navigation. And the interesting thing is, and this is where the cybernetic mechanism part comes into play, when he goes and he starts flying, anytime the plane gets knocked off the course, the cybernetic instrument or the mechanism, whatever you want to say, let's call it the autopilot in this case, starts to bring the the plane back on course. Say it hits some turbulence, gets knocked off course, and it's off course and it's off course. But what the autopilot does is that it measures the amount of deviation or that it measures the how far away the plane is from the actual goal, which is the course that it has to follow. So it measures the deviation 
And then it does everything in its power to make sure that the plane comes back down and is going on course towards the destination. So it automatically brings it back down because it's programmed like that. So how do we tie this all in? You and I have these images of who we believe we are. Let's take a college student who believes that they cannot earn higher than a 3.5 grade point average. Or let's just say they don't believe that they're smart. They don't believe that they're smart. Right. They, our self-image, once again, which is formed when we're little children, acts as the same type of cybernetic instrument that the autopilot on a plane does. It measures the deviation from where you are and, and brings you back to your goal. What does that mean? So a kid brings home a bad grade and their parents say, Johnny, you cannot go out anymore. You are punished and you have to study. They take away Johnny's extracurricular activities. They don't let Johnny go to baseball practice. They say, Johnny, sit in your room and just study. And after a while, for the first couple of weeks, Johnny's grades go up. Johnny's mm-hmm. grades go up and he's mm-hmm. doing good and he's doing good. But eventually, Johnny, Johnny's grades go right back down and he's still continuing as just an average mediocre student. Why is that? Because he's working on the outside, but he hasn't fixed who he is on the inside. Right. His self-image hasn't changed. The external change, but the internal hadn't Exactly. It's like people that lose weight. I think it's 92% of people that lose weight put it back on within a year oh, because yeah, they, the haven't, atrocious. they haven't fixed the image of who they are. The image dictates what happens to you. So let's say we lose 20 pounds. Your image, since it's not fixed and you believe that you're a person that's overweight or fat as the image pulls you back to what you believe that you are, just like how the plane off course, the autopilot pulls it back to the course that it was on so that it could get to the goal. So the person that's lost weight, it's going to, your mind is going to do everything in its power to pull you right back down to where you were so that you can stay consistent with the picture that you have in your mind. So how do you change that? You have to start to build a new picture of who you want to look like and what you want to become so that you can have the new image in your subconscious mind so that instead of having the cybernetic mechanism that when you go higher in life, it brings you back down. Now it just continues and allows you to go higher and higher and higher. But first you have to realize that this image that you have in your mind is not actually who you are. It's just who you believe you are and that you can change it. You don't have to be an extra in your own movie. You can be the director. Excellent. Excellent. Now, Devin, let me let me just piggyback that just one little bit because getting the image right, let's say a person does get the image right. They, they've got it fixed. They start out on this new journey. Inevitably, there's going to be failures along the way. If it was just a straight line to the top, everybody, nobody would be overweight. If we want to stay on that example, there wouldn't be any people at that spot. What is it? Because obviously you've overcome huge things in your trainings and the things that you've had to overcome. You know, there is going to be stumbles, stumbling blocks. Life isn't fair. Life isn't easy. And it nobody ever said it was. And if anybody says it is, they're a liar because it's hard and we fail a lot. When you get down at that lowest spot, what is it, if there is, from your perspective, and it that people need to practically do when they hit those stumbling blocks. Cause I know a lot of my 
my audience, they, they may have diet problems and they've tried them and they've yo-yoed, like you said, or they want to start a business. They start it. They're excited. It's wonderful. It's great. Then the second they try something, their first social media post, nobody posts anything on it and it bombs. Oh, I better quit. I never should have started in the first place. I was a stupid idea. Talk about that low spot because you've obviously been there and overcome them. So, so, so what do you think on that? How do, how do we keep the programming straight when we hit those hurdles? Yeah, there is an it. There is an it. And yeah. it's one word. And to me, there's two words that are the most important words in the English language. And they're actually twins or cousins of one another. And I'll share, I'll share both of them, but I'm going to touch on one in specific. Number one is perspective, how you choose to look at things. Right. But how is your perspective determined? And this is, as Earl Nightingale says, the magic word. And as I, as I reflect on this, this has been everything to me. Attitude. Attitude. William James, one of the founding fathers of modern day psychology, said, the greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes of mind. Right. And he was so, so spot on. There came a point in my life, and we're talking about these failures. Back on February 1st, I had probably the biggest failure that I've had in a really long time. I went off to Army Ranger School which Uh is the army's toughest course. And as an officer in the army, in my specific job, I'm expected to go and pass ranger school. Mm -hmm. And I trained, I prepped hard. I did all the things required and I showed up on the first day and I went, I did the physical fitness test and it was great. And then now it's time to do the swim test. Mm. And then I showed up and I failed a part of the swim test. Mm. And this is day one. The course is 62 days, David. I thought, and you know, what's funny. We talked about social media. I went on the day before the course started and I told everybody, hey guys, I'm going to be back in 62 days. <laughs> so I'll see you then when I complete Army Ranger School. Uh-huh. So I went and I failed on day one. And I'm just thinking for a second. I, I got, oh man. But I spent no time there. I automatically knew that something great was coming. Oh, I right. knew it. My attitude. And this is trained, by the way. Train your attitude. How? By repetition. Anytime that you feel like you're going off course, practice your attitude. Ask yourself, how am I thinking right now? Because most people don't even understand how they think nor when they're thinking. Pause for a second. Will this, if I continue to think this way, will it benefit me? So I started to think, well, well, if I continue to act this way, will it benefit me? And I said, no. So then I said, oh, this must mean if I fail this, God has something else in store for me that I can't see yet. Right. Right. So I first had to go on Instagram and tell everybody, hey, guys, I failed. Uh, oh, uh, my God, it's only a day later. Eat a little crow after uh, posting. Yeah, I had to. I had yeah. to tell him if I told yeah. him I was going to succeed, I had to tell him if I failed. Absolutely. But then I did something much more discreet two days later on social media. I just wrote this little thing on my Instagram story that said, I just received the best news of my life. And I had people texting me, calling me. And I didn't respond to one person, uh-huh. <laughs> but it wasn't because I'm rude. I'm, I'm a, I'm a gentleman. Dude. <laughs> yeah. I didn't respond because I did not have any news. I just knew it. I knew that something was coming because mm-hmm. my attitude towards the situation was if I failed this, as Napoleon Hill says, there must be an equivalent seed of benefit attached to this failure. Hmm couple days go by and I have you ever heard of clubhouse David 
I have, yes. Okay, so Don't use new, it, but I have definitely a heard new of it, social yes. media audio app in which there's a lot of people that go on and I go and I hear this guy named Les Brown speaking. I don't know oh, if you've sure. heard of Les Brown. Yeah, yeah. And I say, oh my goodness, this is Les Brown. I've been following him since I'm 14 years old. Oh my God. So then he's talking about a program that he's selling. It's called Hungry to Speak. It's, it's, it's a mm-hmm. speaker training program. He meets right. with he meets with the group weekly on live calls. And I'm thinking, wow, this sounds good. This sounds good. This sounds good. Right. But there was only one problem. I didn't have $297 per month to spend. Sure. So I sure. call up my dad and I'm like, hey, dad, what do I do? He says, you better find a way to make this work. Mm-hmm. Okay, dad, but what should I do? Do you want me to give you the money, Devin? No, dad, I do not want you to give me the money. So Devin, you better find a way to make this work because this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I said, okay, I guess I'm going to put this on my credit card and take the risk. So I went, I went ahead and I put it on my credit card and then a couple of weeks go by and I'm in the course and then I get an email. It says schedule here to have a 15 minute one-on-one conversation with Les Brown, the number one motivational speaker in the entire world and possibly in my opinion of all time. Yeah. And I go, yeah, okay, okay. He's going to meet with me one-on-one. What kind of scam is this? (laughs) So I go on the call and it's actually just me and Les Brown one-on-one. And I'm thinking, oh my God. And before he says anything else, he just says, son, what is it that you want to do with your voice? And I said, sir, I'm going to be the greatest speaker in the world. Uh And he said, so let's get to work. And that, I'm going to say that moment has formed into a relationship with that man. That is, I can't even explain Wow. How much it changed the trajectory of my life because wow. of a relationship that I built with him. Not because yeah. of who, who he is and his speaking, because of who he is as a man. But, sure. but if my attitude when I failed Army Ranger School would have been, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. Oh my God, what's going to happen now? Oh uh, my God, yeah. I'm not going to have the credibility now. People are going to think of me in a, in a funny way. And I went into this negative rotten hole that so many of us go into. I would have blocked any and all opportunities that could have possibly came to me out. But when you are willing to say, okay, there is something that's coming out of this. I don't know what it is yet, but I have faith that there is something coming. You allow opportunities to come to you. Right. So that's my message, David. Your attitude towards life will determine life's attitude towards you. And I know that firsthand, and that's how I've overcome everything, is understanding that there's something coming. I don't know what it is, but oh boy, it's coming. That, that's so powerful, Devin. And you know, that, that thing of getting back up, getting back up, far too many people have far too many skills and are trying to achieve far too many things that when they hit that spot, oh, I never should have started that. Oh, I never should have tried it. Oh, I should have known I couldn't go back to college. I'm not smart enough to do. They instantly, that that unconscious, like you said, if they don't get it right, and you, I think you nail it on the head, which is so important. Sometimes you just got to get back up and do it again and again and again and again and not stop. And so, I mean, you actually embody that theory, which is so incredibly important. And that's one of the things, David, if you look at any person in history who's achieved massive success, usually 
it's on the tail end of a major failure. There's a, a legend, right. and let me share this very quickly because when I heard this, it totally cracked me up. There's a legend out there. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's fake, okay? I just heard it, and I'm, I loved it. And it's the story of 7-Up. There was a man that really, really loved soda. I mean, he loved <laughs> it. And he said, I am going to start my own soda company. So he went out and he said, what am I going to call it? What am I going to call it? Um, one up. So he says, I'm going to do one up. <laughs> and he brings it out to the market and everybody's like, man, what is this? One up? No way. So he says, okay, okay. We're going to go with um, two up. And he goes and he goes <laughs> on to two up and it's doing good for a couple. It's doing well for a couple of months and then it fails. And he goes back to the drawing board because he loves soda that much. And he doesn't want to only profit from it by drinking it. He wants to actually profit from it by earning money. So right. he goes, what am I going to call it? What am I going to call it? Three up. So he goes and he starts three up and it doesn't work. He goes back and he does four up and it doesn't work. He says, okay, I don't know how much I got left in me. He goes, I'm going to go and I'm going to do five up. And it starts taking off and it's taking off. It's taking off. And then <laughs> it drops off. And he says, okay. I'm going to give this one more <laughs> try. So I'm going to do six up and six <laughs> up just took off. It took off David. Uh-huh. And then in, in 1929, when the depression hit, it tanked and he went bankrupt and his business just went to crap. And he said, I just can't do this anymore. I, I, I give up. I give up. And he announced to the world that he was giving up on his endeavors and he stopped at six up. Well, there was another man who also really loved soda. Oh, he loved it. And in fact, he actually liked the soda that the man who did all of the six ups was, was making. He was a fan. And when he saw that the man had stopped and he quit, this man said, you know what? I want to start a company now. And what am I going to call it? Hmm. I got it. I'm going to call it 7-Up. Oh, my goodness. And he goes on and he goes on to create one of the most iconic sodas or one of the most popular sodas of our generation and oh, the generation yeah, pre- previous to us. Now, why do, I, why do I share this? As you said, what we want is oftentimes, or Edison said it, the, 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 the best way to ensure success is to make sure that you you try you always try just one more time. And he also said most people are failures in life because they did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. If he right. would have just went one more up, one more, <laughs> he would have set he would have been stoned in history. Yeah. He would have been set in stone. But unfortunately, another person was able to capitalize off of his dream. Yeah. And in a similar way, when we give up, we give permission to other people around us to capitalize on the things that we have within us, but now we'll never be able to be readily displayed out into the world. Absolutely. And, and Devin, I think that note right there is maybe a great spot for us to consider wrapping this up. But before we do that, Devin, tell us, if any of my audience wants to connect with you, wants to uh, listen to your podcast, I had the chance to listen to a few. They're awesome. And fed, obviously, I think you even had Les Brown on there as a guest. If I <laughs> yes, saw I that, that's pretty amazing that you that you had him on there. So tell us a little bit where my audience can just, you know, 
And, and your book too, if that's coming out soon yes, or whatever, yes, yes. go ahead. Absolutely, David. Thank you so much. And it's funny, you mentioned that there's some college students that listen to your, your stuff and I'm going to actually be creating a podcast. It's going to be dropping on August 1st and it's oh, going to be cool. called The New College Mindset. Oh, and it's going to, it's it. going to be for students who are looking to move from a place of stuck and overwhelmed to a place of not only succeeding in the classroom, but succeeding in the classroom while simultaneously enjoying and loving every other part of their lives. Oh, that's so, so needed and so, so important. It, so that's it, great. And I'm really excited about that. So August 1st, the new college mindset will be dropping with its first awesome. episodes. Uh, you can follow, you could find the, the, the one life podcast and make sure that you type in the one life podcast. Cause that's the, right. that's the name of it. The one life podcast. Right. If you don't, you might not see it. I don't want you to, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> but right. uh, besides that, David, you could follow me on Instagram at, and the username is at I am Devin Rodriguez. So I A M D E V E N Rodriguez LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook. I'm all over the place. And uh, it was really a, really a pleasure to be here And my book. I, I don't have a definitive date. You got to go work with the editors and see what they oh, think yeah. and so forth. So oof, within the next couple <laughs> months, David, but don't you worry, you'll see it out there. And I appreciate Absolutely. you, David, because you're, you're a rock star and this was a ton of fun. Oh, no, the, the pleasure was all mine. And, and again, thank you for your service you do for the country and uh, and and just a, just an honor to have you with us. So I appreciate your time this evening. So thank you, David. I appreciate it. And let's stay in touch. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I so hope you found value in the topic today. You know, Every single day, if we can expand our perspective just a little bit on any range of topic, whether it be about our physical body, intellectual sharpness and perspective, or spiritual growth, then if we stay consistent in the long run, we all become more well-rounded people able to cope with all manner of events in life. I always appreciate you clicking like or follow. To this podcast generally a new episode is published every single week and please if you have any questions or comments i would love to hear about them with that i hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week until we talk again